This is Misinfo Weekly, a somewhat weekly program about misinformation in our time. Misinfo Weekly is made by the Unit for Data Science and Analytics at Arizona State University Library. This week, we talk a little bit about the QAnon conspiracy theory, and that turns into a conversation about Parler and other kinds of emerging social media platforms that may be playing a kind of broker role for making conspiracy theories and other kinds of misinformation more mainstream. We'll start this week with a conspiracy theory, or more like a bundle of conspiracy theories all shrink-wrapped together. We're going to talk about QAnon. Sean, normally I'm the one who gets super excited to talk about Q and QAnon, but why don't you start off and set the table? What what do you know about QAnon? QAnon is a far-right conspiracy theory, and there are really two parts to that. There's Q, but no one knows who Q actually is. Theory is that these are high-level military officials that are unearthing alleged deep state plot against President Trump and his supporters. And then there are followers of Q that then find these coded messages, decode them to try to understand their meaning. So Q is actually a group of people embedded in the government. That's the theory, yes. We'll put some asterisks by it. But the theory goes that these are people embedded in the government and that the deep state is another part of the government and that Q is trying to combat the deep state and protect Donald Trump because Donald Trump is taking on the deep state. Is that the general dynamic? Yes. Spinning a lot of plates here and keeping track of some of the stuff going on with QAnon. So, Sean, you've actually taken a look at how Amazon and some of its services index this site according to the content. According to that service, which goes by a particular name that we won't repeat so everyone's smart devices don't go off in their homes, what's going on on that website according to Amazon services? So we looked at one of the more popular sites is called Q Alerts, but this is actually part of a whole constellation of websites. There's not one single site. And the service Alexa... If anyone is listening to this podcast right now, then their devices at their home probably just went off as a result. It's incredibly confusingly named. Alexa ranks website traffic and gives a lot of other information about a site. So in the United States, this site ranks around the 16,000th most popular website, and 93% of the traffic is from the United States. But interestingly enough, too, it also ranks the site based on the types of keywords that people use to find the site. So they're looking at QAnon drops or Q drops or Q alerts. These are the way that Q provides messages. They call them drops. But we also see top social topics in this site are God, religion, and world peace. Right. Which is, I think it's striking that the majority of the words or keywords on that site create or make it seem like all those messages together, that that's the theme is religion and world peace. Some of the bones of the QAnon conspiracy are about really far out things like child sex trafficking, collusions among Democrat politicians and the intelligence agencies, George Soros, all colluding together to prey on young children for all kinds of wild and nefarious purposes. Some really disturbing stuff in there. We won't get completely in the weeds about everything, but just to kind of mark how much breadth there is in the QAnon conspiracy theory, that one minute you're reading about how important world peace is and how it's important to pray to God. And then on the other hand, unveiling some of the most kind of wild and out there descriptions about what's really going on in in the lives of people in power. 
And I'll add that some folks that may think they've never heard of Q and QAnon, one of the more famous conspiracy theories that emerged from Q and the QAnon community was the Pizzagate conspiracy that involved Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, Hillary Clinton, and that she was running a, a basically a sex trafficking ring in the basement of a, a pizza place called Comic Ping Pong, which, interestingly enough, the building did not have a basement. And this conspiracy theory and its discussion led to a, a man going to the pizza place, Comic Ping Pong, with a gun to try to free these children when the police came and nothing was found. Yeah, totally. And to this day, even a week ago at different protests and counter protests, what was on people's signs? The letter Q or a pizza as an emblem of that same conspiracy. And you're referring to some local protests in the Phoenix area in Scottsdale that happened last week related to anti-mass protests when a member of the city council led a, a protest there against the mask ordinance that was recently put into place. If you look at the images in the news in our local newspaper, the Arizona Republic, we saw protesters with signs. And in the corner, unless you're looking for it, you might not see it, but in the corner of a handful of those signs, which was very, fairly prominent, you saw Q or this pizza or other things in reference to Q and QAnon. Yeah. And actually, so I'm over on the Q Alerts site now. And I'll just read you one and I'll get your reaction to that, given given the observations about the presence of QAnon and say protests locally um, or how a lot of these conspiracy theories that spin out of the Q world tend to start to get national profile. I'll read this one to you. This message that you're looking at actually wouldn't be a direct message from Q. The message is encoded and then folks work to sort of interpret the encoding to then connect all of these disseparate threads together and fill in the blanks. It is kind of like a, a bizarre found poem. Is this about the virus or the election? All right, so what I'm going to do is read you one post from the Q Alerts board that we're using today, which is not meant to be a coherent message, like a single email passed on to followers, but more like bits of information cobbled together and, and passed down to people, kind of Q, Q followers, who are supposed to make meaning out of this information. So I'm going to read this to you. And at the top of this particular post, there's a link that indicates or that kind of refers to Joe Biden's policy about not really holding rallies while we have a COVID-19 problem. So underneath that link, which kind of the story just summarizes that Biden's made the decision that he's not going to hold rallies. The following text. How do you prevent public embarrassment regarding lack of crowd size? How do you continue the con regarding a fake polling lead? How do you support mail-in ballot election fraud? Parentheses. Election was not rigged. All polls showed Biden had double-digit lead versus POTUS. Who benefits the most? Is this about the virus or the election? So besides the fact this is fairly incoherent, and there are pieces that are really seemingly disconnected. So typical of Q messages, you have to make jumps in order to create threads between seemingly disconnected opponents. This is very much about code word anti-Biden. So implying that Biden's not having rallies because no one's going to show up because they're not supportive of Biden. So this is disconnected messaging and blaming a lot of what's going on around Biden versus the actual situation around the virus. So saying basically the virus is a con right, and a tool for the Biden campaign 
to attack Trump. It kind of looks like the implication is the virus is here to bail out Joe Biden, that Joe Biden wouldn't have had very good rally size in terms of crowds, that people aren't that excited about him, and that apparently the mail-in ballots are going to be part of some kind of scam so that when Biden does win, then it's not a surprise. Notice there's there's three different things going on here. One is the mail-in ballots, which are going to be a fraud. That's the implication. Then there's going to be a big problem with the way that the polls are reported so that the polls are all fake because the media is fake. So they're inflating Biden's lead to make it seem to give him cover so that when there is a rigged election through the mail-in ballot system, then it will make it look like a fulfilled prophecy that the polls were correct. On top of that, what is giving cover there is the virus so that the virus which is keeping people from doing all sorts of things or is a good reason for people to not come to rallies is giving Biden political cover. So we see that the media, the virus, and Biden are all working together to rig an election. Yes, so the virus basically papers over all of these or hides all of these supposed flaws in Biden's campaign, which I think it's important to note that all of the empirical research and empirical evidence, for example, with respect to mail-in ballots, supports the opposite to say that mail-in ballots are secure, mail-in ballots are a legitimate and very safe way to vote. Yet, these conspiracy theories ignore that evidence to try to push these lines of saying, well, this deep state wants to push this voting method that's inherently insecure, which all empirical evidence says the exact opposite. Right, right. and the takeaway is that there's just no reason for Biden to be not having rallies at all, right? That he's actually politically weak and that this virus is just made up. You know, another one, what percentage of total Black Lives Matter donations between June 1st and July 1 went to the Biden campaign for president? I'll read a couple more lines. Why is Black Lives Matter pushed every four years? Who pays Sharpton to fly private? Does Black Lives Matter donated money end up in Sharpton's foundation? How do you avoid campaign finance laws? How do you wash clean money? Is this about improving the quality of life for black Americans or something else? So in many ways, this looks like a technique where we just throw things at the wall. And the idea is that can we find a space where there's a vacuum? We talked about this last week with respect to dashboards in that misinformation loves a vacuum. So if there's a vacuum in someone's understanding or an explanation around, say, Biden, for example, or the coronavirus, then this seems like an attempt of, I'm going to give you a litany of potential items to fill that void. And if any one of those stick, then Q and QAnon now has an in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a similar kind of idea, right? Where the previous post that we talked about, the virus was a form of unrest that was covering up for some kind of malfeasance. But here, Black Lives Matter is another one of those things where the kind of change that you see in front of you going on across the country isn't actually legitimate, right? So notice there's a kind of cynicism built into this where uh, you're cynical of the virus because it's a ploy to get Biden elected. You're cynical of Black Lives Matter because it's a fundraising campaign for the Democrats. So there's an interesting conversion going on where you look at these messages and it creates this filter where the news and all the stuff that's going on that's really an incredible and historic struggle is converted into 
an elaborate mechanism to get the wrong people put in power. And there's also a dichotomy in the language that's used. So with respect to, say, Black Lives Matter, on the left, you have protests, you have racism. On the right, you have insurgents. So it's basically violent hordes or crowds on the right. And in this this far right language is very much not calling them protesters. It's calling them these like mass hordes versus the mob versus on the left. The liberal mob. Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, again, the fear here is there are violent and mass terror organizations. This is another line, right? Another one pointing out how the mask order and releasing prisoners from Rikers at the same time is another way to destabilize society. So the prisoners can wear masks and be anonymous. So really spinning up this idea that there are people who are purposefully destabilizing society and that the mask wearing is really a way for people to, you know, on the one hand, hide their identity, or maybe it can make you sick, right? We talked a little bit about some of these other mask conspiracy theories, but then also that the mask is actually just, as you had mentioned before, the virus isn't as dangerous. So the mask is just a way of taking away your liberty. They've also taken the line that Trump said, we want the cure to not be worse than the virus, especially in the Q community. They've taken that and run with it in that we consider all the empirical evidence points to masks being effective at preventing infection and social distancing is effective at preventing infection. But the rhetoric around the Q community is very much that masks lower your oxygen levels. Empirical evidence says it does not. Masks, you're breathing in the virus and recirculating the virus so you can become more infected. It weakens your immune system. It prevents herd immunity. And all those things are false. But they've connected into those sort of gaps and those fears. And then they just heighten it up. And, and keep cranking it up, cranking it up, cranking it up until you're now in this, what I would say is like an extremist echo chamber. Yeah, fear is a very important thing that QAnon calls out. And that fear is something that the, the, the liberal, radical, deep state uses as a, as a tool to control people. And so, you know, one Q post, actually, this is just from a few days ago. The news is fake. The insurgency is real. And this gets at the idea that QAnon followers are part of some kind of insurgency for a coming war of some kind, right? Or the storm or the awakening. And Q conspiracy conversation always comes around this idea that there's an information war. Um, and that the way that people who follow QAnon can really participate is help to dispel that media narrative, right? So remember from some of these other posts, this idea that the media is really in the tank for the deep state and that they're just going to manipulate people however they want. And the way for QAnon to fight back is by providing the right information or to push back against those narratives. And so that's kind of an interesting situation to be in, right? Is that we're talking about QAnon uh, from the perspective of it is a mechanism for spreading all kinds of narratives that create misinformation or facilitate misinformation. From the perspective of QAnon, they are trying to fight misinformation. I think the irony of this is the persona that Q and QAnon members are creating is that they're fighting this fear and this misinformation. That the irony is they're using those techniques to propagate their ideas. So when you say they're using those techniques to propagate their ideas, do you mean they're using misinformation techniques? They're using misinformation techniques and fear. Oh. So they're saying, 
wearing a mask is about fear. The mask itself is more dangerous than the virus. But then now the mask itself for the Q and QAnon community becomes a point of fear. Wearing the mask is something to be afraid of because it's dangerous. Right. Or, or in addition to that, that it's the the state is putting its hands all over you by making you wear this mask. So it becomes more about your liberty and not just your liberty in the present moment, right? Because according to Q, the idea is that we're going to take away even more liberty in a, in a kind of hyper-controlling liberal fascism. And so all of the liberty that's being taken away for these masks through the Q frame is that we're anticipating that the mask is just the first bite and that more and more of your liberty will be consumed in due time. Yeah, the mask becomes a trial balloon to test the most effective techniques to suppress our freedom. And this is just a taste of what's yeah. to come. Yeah. And instead of this is a global pandemic where people are being harmed and we need to do this for the public health reasons. Yeah. And I think, you know, you mentioned a misinformation technique. And I think the simplest thing that QAnon conspiracy does is repeat the same lie over and over and over again, or repeat the same wrong things over and over and over again, and with a dash of style and that you leave a lot of it open for people to interpret or make their own meaning out of it, right? This is a, this is a tremendously flexible conspiracy community, if we could even call it that, right? Where you have some people who are convinced that the mask will reactivate the virus and harm you. You have some people who think that the mask that know what really will hurt you is the carbon dioxide or that the mask is actually like a psychosocial experiment that the government is, is kind of going on. There are, there's variation there. There's not necessarily unity or coherence, right? That's not necessary for this kind of conspiracy theory, but we do see a lot of repetition, a lot of commitment to this idea of maintaining peace and belief in God. And I think when people talk about QAnon, rightly so, as a, or as a kind of apocalyptic religion, a lot of that is right on. Yes. So you've been reading excerpts from websites like Q Alerts and such. You said this is a, one of many sites, like a constellation of sites. Can you talk a little more about what sites Q is connected to? Yeah. So I think that there's just a lot of other... Uh, so uh, it used to be applications um, that you would download for your phone would be tuned in and you'd be able to receive messages in this way. Apple has banned a lot of these apps from the App Store. So now there's a number of different websites that post Q alerts or Q drops, and they, they all have similar names or variations on those names or URLs. And of course, there's more, but the idea is to just give people a source for these kinds of things. Now, Another interesting note on this is that people will look at how synchronous things drop from the Q community or from Q, I should say, not the Q community. Q community we've been using to designate the folks who follow and interpret QAnon. But people will look at the drops and then look at when President Trump tweets. And they call that a Delta Zero, which is there's very little time that lapses between when the update from Q is released to the various message boards and when President Trump will tweet. And so they'll circle the timestamp. Again, trying to draw any kind of connection they can to the idea that QAnon or Q and President Trump are on the same side or are part of the same operation in some way. These sites are spread across the internet. They've been dispersed in a lot of different ways. 
But then also there's this effort in these posts to try to show how whatever's going on in the scattered bits on apps and on all these different websites that they are referring, they are anchored to something more mainstream that yes, look, we are right dialed into president Trump or president Trump is acting just as we are acting right as Q. And so there's this idea that they are in sync with the mainstream political discourse, even though that they are kind of in hiding away from the mainstream political discourse on all these different kinds of websites. Are these connected to non-Q websites? Why popular social media services or emerging social media services? I would say that on the one hand, you see a lot of embedding of links from newspapers and Twitter. So Q posts will link to Twitter plenty. And actually, you do see some splash, right? There's plenty of QAnon activity on Twitter. Plenty of viral posts go between Twitter and QAnon, but they're kind of in their own circles. And then then even when you have the president's children tweeting out memes from QAnon, you start to see a normalization of QAnon conspiracy theories. But one thing that I think has been interesting that has kind of come up recently is Parler. So Parler is this app that you and I have been using for the last... So sort of branded it as the conservative Twitter in response to a recent banning of some very popular ultra, if it's fair to say, ultra right-wing media figures have been banned from Twitter. I would, I would say that. It looks like we have some time. So let's talk a little bit about Parler specifically, because I think where Twitter, you definitely see some exchange of QAnon messages and some trafficking of QAnon content to Twitter and back. Parler just seems like an interesting kind of duck. You know more about this than I do. Parler's pretty small, right? Well, the most recent information from a few months ago in June, well, last month actually, is 1.5 million users. This is self-reported. The site launched in August of 2018, but really started to take off in March of 2020. And then in June, you had fairly famous figures on the right, like Donald Trump Jr. and Rudy Giuliani and Alex Jones and Ted Cruz. They joined in June. And so June has been a fairly large explosion of users that are starting to use the platform as some of these figures, or more than likely, it's not... For example, Rudy Giuliani, he's posting himself, it's his staff. Okay. It's almost like a boutique social media platform. I think people have been calling it conservative Twitter, but I don't know if that's exactly right. Because as you said, like it's, it seems pretty constrained. The content in there is, seems like it's a little bit more, like there might be a little bit more agreement among all the folks on there than not. So there's a narrow range of voices. So this is our... I'm speaking from my experience over the last week, and I know you can you can add to that. I too have had some experiences on Parler. Yes, yes. So, but I think that the comparison to Twitter is problematic because a large portion of tweets and Twitter accounts are public, and there are different types of interaction. Twitter has a whole content moderation team, which content moderation in social media platforms, or this idea of content moderation, is that. Platforms are examining content if you violate their policy. So if you post a tweet or something on Facebook and you say you're going to harm someone, that violates their policy. So that would be reported. They would remove that. If you are spreading misinformation about COVID, if it's the platform might delete that or might put a warning versus Parler, it's not public. You have to join. There's no way to collect data from Parler very easily. and their content moderation is fairly non-existent, except there are some claims that non-right-wing voices that have been on the platform have been moderated. But for the most part, it's sort of a 
the wild, wild west of a boutique social media service with a very small number of users, you know, 1.5 million. It's ranked, you know, again, like we said, about 23,000 in the world versus Facebook is ranked, I think, site number four in the world. And Twitter is site 51 in the world as most popular for traffic. It's really sort of comparing apples and oranges in many ways. So I've been looking at this for a week on my phone and it looks kind of like Twitter, but also not like Twitter at all. Yeah. So Parler looks almost like a form of a like Twitter and an intersection of Twitter and a threaded discussion board in a way. So you have an, a post and then you have comments to that post. So you have a post, you click on it, and then you can see the comments as well as they have upvotes and other, other pieces. And an important point is that there are some high profile conservative political figures and media figures on the platform, but they seem to just create post content. And then there's no other interaction that they have with commenters. So for example, President Trump's campaign or uh, Nunez might create a post. And then there are hundreds or if not thousands of comments to that post. But Nunez and his campaign staff, they don't interact in the comments. But then these posts are interspersed with non-high profile folks that um, you just go back and forth. So one post could be from the Trump campaign. And then the next post is from sort of an anonymous username that we don't know. But then each post has a set of comments that go with it. So it has a way of weaving together conversations that Twitter does not. Yes. And also in a, in a way that... So for example, with Twitter, you have a, a sort of a tweet. And then you have to click into that tweet to then see the reply thread on Parler, you have the main post and then you have to open that. And then it's not really threaded replies. It's just a whole host of comments. And those posts are all interspersed. So you see one post from a high profile figure, another post from an account that was created 24 hours ago. And you're not really picking followers. This post, this content just gets aggregated and kind of crunched together in a different way than say Facebook or Twitter would based on your follower networks. So as, as I was using Parler this week too, I, I kept thinking, oh, is there a way to collect posts off Parler like there is for Twitter? And then I kind of thought to myself, wait, will I need it? I mean, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but like when you research Parler, is N of 10 okay? Because it's actually a perfectly representative sample of all of the posts on Parler because it's so homogenous. I don't actually know, but this is the impression that I have after being on Parler for a week. But one of the first people to follow me I'm not going to name the person. This person is a physician who uh, on one of his posts was claiming that because Barack Obama was not full black, end quote, Democrats and liberals were deluding themselves about who he truly was and that he's basically a trophy for the liberal fascist agenda. Here is another post, more truth versus fiction and hysteria. Let's talk about George Floyd. The mainstream media won't tell you this part because it doesn't fit their leftist anti-American agenda. George Soros backed Antifa and was waiting for any opportunity to riot, loot, maim, and kill. He's a career criminal with an extensive record. Check it out for yourselves. So what your posts are showing is is actually um, almost a one-to-one relationship between some QAnon posts that you've seen in the past. I think what's going on here is you see the same kinds of ideas, right? Protests are actually being fueled by elites used to manipulate politics, that race 
doesn't actually matter in any of these things. That really bad actors are trying to destabilize the peace of the United States. If, say, for instance, on some of the material for local politicians here who are talking about having a town hall or a forum and inviting people to come out and and participate, then it's kind of amazing to see how any conversation about masks, right? So this is back to the mask side of things. People will say things like masks are propaganda. Just that's it, right? Or do you have a lot of immigrants in your state? Because that might be why you have a lot of COVID-19, right? So that's another question. Or another post, which is, when is the pandemic over? We won't consent to masks because we don't know when the pandemic will be over. Also, Fauci has an agenda, right? Quote, he's bad for liberty. Quote, he will get his way and force vaccinations will be the end. You will have to get vaccinated for everything to buy and sell. The list goes on. He is already laying the groundwork for forced vaccines by scaring people. It is the same tactic with masks. Fall for masks and then this idea of herd immunity, all your liberty will be gone. There also seem a lot of connections, which eventually will probably spend a whole episode on this, but this idea of the pandemic video or some of the ideas that the pandemic video brought together. None of these ideas are actually new. They're just uh, sort of represented or reformulated for a COVID pandemic audience. Yeah. And I mean, I think personally, I think some there are some conspiracies like the kind of medical conspiracies like pandemic or uh, COVID 911. I think they have their own flavor to them, but they definitely overlap with some of the stuff that we're that we're talking about here. And certainly and to your point, none of this stuff started with QAnon, right? The idea that really wealthy behind the scenes, powerful people are using race relations as a way to manipulate and destabilize the government so that they can take over and reign on high by using political correctness as a way to turn everybody into a homogenous and oppressed population. That goes way back, right? That's kind of white supremacy 101 in the United States. That's Those are some of the er myths of white supremacy in the United States. But it is the Venn diagram that we start to see here. If QAnon posts are showing up at protests about masks and COVID, and then QAnon material is specifically taking up what's going on with masks and COVID. And then it's also harmonizing with some earlier kind of white supremacist ideas. And we're starting to see, to me, it looks like QAnon is kind of a supercharger for some of these ideas that are not new, but is doing a really good job of connecting people with these ideas and kind of bubbling it out into other circles. And I think Parler is an example of where we start to see some of that stuff, where people are making references to QAnon on Parler, or when people are kind of almost acting like mouthpieces for the way that QAnon kind of reasons through current events on Parler. Um, so we can start to see that there isn't, there isn't the same kind of independence in terms of thinking between QAnon and other kinds of social media platforms, where at least you might see some variety of what's going on, it feels like the distance between Parler and QAnon is a little close. And you'll see on more public social media platforms, you know, Twitter, Facebook, other places, 
you see at least some discussion, not saying that it's friendly discussion, but you have consenting voices. Will people dig up Facebook later on and wonder if this was what we were doing to ourselves by attempting to, quote, have discussions on Facebook? Is, are people going to laugh at us? They might laugh at us. Well, that's if we save any of this information, if it survives. I think it's less likely to survive. So, Well, that's a, that's a happy thought. Yeah, I, I feel better already. Digital preservation is a very difficult process with any of these platforms. It's like you were saying, collecting data from Parler is there, there aren't any mechanisms that collect data that are abide by their terms of service. There are ways to sort of hack it together, but there's no transparency in the same way that... For example, Facebook and Twitter offer hooks for researchers to connect. Parler doesn't offer anything like that. Am I thinking too much like a conspiracy theorist here in, in, in seeing there such a connection between Parler and QAnon? No, I think all of these, I would say all these services are connected in that way. So in Parler, I found multiple links to separate Q-focused videos that don't have a significant number of views, but still there's a lot of traffic. So some of these videos have about 35,000 views and they're this montage of Q content. So similar to the messages you were reading in the beginning where they're these seemingly disconnected pieces that leave you to fill in the gap with whatever you like. I think that Parler is becoming a very safe and sheltered place to share that type of information in various forms. Yeah. So 35,000, that's not nothing. That's a pretty big audience. It's not like it's not millions, but I also think that back to this point about the websites that we were making, that I think a lot of the stuff tends to be broken up into lots of different, lots of different objects of attention, not just one object of attention, if that makes any sense, right? Like the pandemic video, I don't know how we can ever get a, t a true count of how many times pandemic was viewed because it has been unposted and reposted and circulated around the internet in a lot of different venues in all kinds of ways. I suspect it's the same way for that Q video that you saw linked that had 35,000 views in what? in the version of it that you saw, but I imagine it has been posted and reposted across other networks and also viewed. Well, and the video is one of a sort of cornucopia or a whole ecosystem of Q follower videos. So you have a message from a drop from Q that then gets interpreted and then spread and scattered in these various ways, which make it very difficult to track. These are similar to the methods that extremist groups and terrorist networks use to spread their messages. Could you say a little bit more about that? So by breaking the messages down into hundreds or thousands of little pieces that get spread across various websites, content that appears and then is strategically deleted shortly thereafter, it's been shared for the amount of time that the poster wanted it to, it becomes very difficult to track and to put all of these pieces together. Similarly, in a way like the pandemic video, it keeps being removed. Some social media platforms might have an idea of the spread, but it's been on YouTube, it's been on private websites, it's been posted to Facebook, it's been posted to Twitter, and everything in between. So no one entity has any idea of the entire spread of that content. We have bits and pieces of the information ecosystem, but we're missing a lot of those gaps. And in the way that Q and QAnon followers are this distributed network, it's really difficult to get all of these pieces together. So a lot of it's underground in a similar way to the way that terrorist networks operate, their coded messages. It's not obvious. So we might see a message. For example, one of these videos ended with a gentleman. We were talking about this video before we started. Uh, ended with a gentleman who is colorblind. And his family gave him the colorblind glasses where you put them on and you can see colors. And at first it might seem, oh, well, that's just a really nice video of this, this man who had never seen colors before. Right. Soon the golden retriever will run up and give him a hug yes. or something yeah, like that. Touching. Yeah. 
but you, you interpreted it in a different way. What, what was your response when I initially told you that video? Oh yeah. So seeing that one, that seems like a total allusion to the idea of awakening, which is a big deal for, for QAnon. And that actually comes back to what you were saying, right? This passing messages to people. It's not as if these messages, because there's all different kinds of messages that can be passed along, right? We're not passing along specific instructions or trying to get everybody to be able to coordinate like a synchronized swimming routine or something like that, where everybody has very specific orders. The messages being passed here are more like confirming values or inspiring people to think a particular way. So the messages that are that QAnon are, are passing along here, they're not tactical. So it, it seems even more analogous to what you were talking about before, right? The idea is to build your following, not necessarily give them a specific set of instructions. In the case of the video with a gentleman putting on the glasses and he could now see, that's a bit of a... That's a message, yeah. A message around Q and QAnon followers are, you put the glasses of Q on, so to speak, and that opens your eyes to the deep state and what's really happening, what masks mean. Yeah, you've been cued, right, is, is, yes. is what they would say. It occurs to me that with viral content... It's not viral in the same way if it keeps getting taken down and reposted and taken down and reposted only because the original poster doesn't profit from it in the same way that you might see with more conventional media platforms where something goes viral. But there's also not the same interest about profiting in that way. So it's actually perfectly acceptable to have that information warfare be more of a guerrilla campaign. Yes. And so this breaking it down into bits make this guerrilla campaign very difficult to follow and to decode in some of these communities. There are some places you can hang out in, like some of these QAnon websites, other platforms that we've been discussing. But still, those are lots of pieces to put your information together. You can't go to Trump's election website or Biden's election website to get a handle on what's going on. There's no Q equivalent. It's this distributed network that has sparse connections between them where this information keeps getting transferred from point to point to point, which makes it very difficult to follow. Yeah, until it surfaces in places like Parler, right, where you have people who are in the United States Congress with Parler accounts. You have the president of the United States with a Parler account. Those people are rubbing shoulders now in a really in a smaller kind of environment, as you mentioned, are rubbing shoulders with people who are linking to QAnon, right? Or who are, are, are spewing QAnon talking points or QAnon messaging. And so, whereas, you know, we can talk about how it's kind of underground and conducted in one way until it's not when it starts to surface in a place like this, right? So as you mentioned, Parler really started to become more popular in June of this year. And now we're looking at the proximity of Q to Parler, but also the proximity of Q to some of the more notable and public politicians in, in Parler as well. And so it's this interesting activity where the flows of misinformation is something that, I don't know, we don't always get a chance to talk about. When we talk about fake news, we're always talking about the content or the nature of the content. But when we're talking about QAnon, right, we don't just want to get caught up in some of the outlandish things that people say, but it's also important to pay attention to where this stuff is flowing, right? We talked about the origins and some of these ideas are much older, but now they're flowing into these QAnon conspiracy circles and they're flowing into slowly but surely more legitimate circles. So I would say you know, Q is mainstreaming. And if you look at Facebook data, for example, mentioning Q and QAnon, Twitter data mentioning Q and QAnon, there's a bit of a cycle of it's posted 
the content's reaching farther across the platform, but then Facebook and Twitter are slowly culling that information and removing it. So it's sort of a, it's a rise and fall of this information. You can see there's a bit of a battle from the platforms and the QAnon community. You don't have to worry about that on Parler, of course. Correct. But now, for example, we have two officials, you know, who have won their primary. Yeah. Lauren, Lauren Boebert is one of them, right? Yes. So there's one in Colorado. Bobert is Colorado, yes. And then there's another Green, won the Republican congressional primary in Georgia. And both of these are open believers of Q. Yeah, this is actually a quote from Bobert. Everything that I've heard of Q, I hope this is real because it only means America is getting stronger and better and people are returning to conservative values. And that's what I'm for. And so everything that I have heard of this movement is only motivating and encouraging and bringing people together stronger. And if this is real, then it could be really great for our country. Now, you talk about mainstreaming. That's it. So even it, this, this seems to me like the answer to a newspaper equivalent of how Amazon profiles a Q drop website, which is, yes, it's about God and peace. And that's basically what, what Bobert has said, is that this is about loving America and doing good things for our country, which you really have to squint very hard to think that QAnon is only about those things. And this also, as like a slide aside, unearths the limitations of an artificial intelligence and machine learning in that this Amazon Alexa service is picking up these keywords of God and peace, but has no understanding of the context or the very specific meaning within the Q community. Yeah, I mean, that's an embarrassment that I think we'll be lucky if we get to look back on and say, okay, that's a lesson learned. But I think the effect is the same here, which is if you're able to say, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with QAnon and I hope it's true and it's all about making our country better, that ambiguity really stokes the people who are following Q because what you'll hear from them is, oh, of course they can't say everything about all the details out loud. They have to be careful because the media is so pitched against them. And so this kind of really general response that just tries to resonate with the value, with the, with the key uh, kind of tenet of Q, which is just to restore peace, right? Now, even though peace is part of this entire double speak, right, that we just, you know, kind of dredged into a little bit about all the devious ways that they think about peace. But nevertheless, here we have someone who's running for elected office saying, I completely support the goals of QAnon and I hope it's true. That's pretty mainstream. Yes. And now we have the emergence of platforms like Parler and others that have very little interest in any oversight or moderation of content where this, these QAnon theories and beliefs can then rub shoulders in increasingly closer ways than they did in the past with existing public officials. So there's, for example, Trump didn't endorse either of the primary winners, the one in Colorado or Georgia. Right. Bafflingly, one of them defeated the candidate that Trump had had back. Yes. But now, since they won, Trump's tweeted out a congratulations. So that, that, right, of course, that brings yes. them ever closer to very powerful positions in U.S. government. Yeah. And to be fair, when, when I say... Or, you know, when you say mainstreaming or when I say that's pretty mainstream, we're not talking about being able to go to Costco and buy a QAnon tank top. But we are talking about pretty rare air for a conspiracy theory. If if you have people who are running for office now saying that they want it to be true, if you have the children of the president 
tweeting out QAnon memes. That is really mainstream. Typically, this is the book on conspiracy theories, is that they are supposed to be a way for people who are out of political power to tell a story or to make sense of the world or find explanations in a way that might empower them or explain why they are disempowered. QAnon is different. When researchers of QAnon remark on what's different about QAnon, this is one of the things that they point out. This is one of the first times that you have a conspiracy theory that is peddled by the folks who are in power, right? So the president is in charge. He's the one running the country. But the conspiracy theory is about trying to make sure that his power is explained. So this is what makes mainstreaming the QAnon conspiracy theory a little bit easier or a little bit more ergonomic than other kinds of conspiracy theories. And these services then decrease the distance between these officials or their staff or whoever. You know, I don't imagine that Trump or Trump's children, I, I don't believe that Trump has an official account on Parler, but his campaign does. Uh, you know, Ron Paul, Ted Cruz right, yeah. have official accounts, but I don't believe that they're the ones behind the screen typing. It's it's their staff, but it's these messages are in the same space, and it's not like we. This is a much smaller pool than sort of the the ocean of Twitter or Facebook. This is pretty much a fish tank of of thought where lots of stuff is swimming really close to each other, and Q is accounts for a lot of the water in the fish tank. Yeah. Well, I mean, back to that idea of where's the information flowing from or where's the misinformation flowing from. And, you know, it, it really does feel like through some of these different platforms, we're actually able to get some screen time in much more legitimate places or get some juxtaposition where we wouldn't have got it before. Parlor is is a relatively new manifestation that feels more concentrated, but it's not like Twitter and Facebook didn't help all of this happen beforehand. Can you imagine if someone elected for state office just came out and said, yeah, I believe the CIA killed Kennedy. I hope that's true. It helps us root out corruption in the government. That's unimaginable to me. Well, and there would be a groundswell or at least there would at least be a number of voices. I don't know if I'd say groundswell, but there would at least be a number of voices across a political spectrum that would speak up and denounce that and, and wouldn't be just silent, like was what happened or sort of endorse that content, like what's happening right, right here in parlor and with Q. Yeah. 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 So lots of things that I think are new are not new, but at the same time, I feel like got to stand up and pay attention when we start to see some of these things get closer and closer to each other, and when, a, again, the vast conspiracy theory starts to bubble up, not just in small places or kind of here and there as people are making communications, but really starting to characterize an entire group of people in terms of some of their core beliefs and how they're making sense of some of the most dire and pressing challenges that we're all facing today. And it's not to say that... The emergence of social networks that are specific to certain ideas and beliefs is a negative, is always a negative. It's actually many of these can be positive, but the issue is that there always has to have some moderation that takes place in these communities and oversight that takes place in these communities or they can often become polluted places. And so the lack of oversight in this community is causing the content to become 
more and more sort of concentrated or polluted with QAnon ideals. Yeah, I think there's it's almost a utopian idea that you won't need to moderate content and that people can exchange ideas freely. Unfortunately, given the way that the precedence for misinformation right now and how kind of vulnerable people are to it, it doesn't seem like a feasible way to go right now. If at the same time, you're going to be bringing in high profile politicians and other kinds of public servants onto this platform, legitimizing it. It feels like some kind of rules of the road might be important. Otherwise, it, as you mentioned, it's just going to get completely eaten up. Yeah, I think that's actually a great place to end, to be thinking about how we need to conduct and further revise some of these platforms. This is not the last new platform that's going to come out. And folks certainly aren't happy with the state of play for a lot of platforms that have been existing for a little while. Thanks for joining us. For questions or comments, use the email address datascience at asu.edu. And to check out more about what we're doing, try library.asu.edu slash data.